This is the Sustain UW podcast, hosted by student interns from the UW-Madison Office of Sustainability. With help from professors, student activists, campus staff, and other guest experts, we're here to investigate common narratives of environmentalism and to question the status quo. Why is the environmental movement so whitewashed? Is recycling as effective as you think it is? Why are there people struggling to access food in our communities? Is UW living up to its environmental legacy? We want to know what's up with sustainability and where should we go from here? Hi, welcome to the Sustain UW podcast. I'm Katie. And I'm Savannah. And we're going to be your hosts for the first ever episode of SUP. Basically, this podcast is all about sustainability and kind of challenging what we've been told about it, exploring what's happening on campus with sustainability, what are current issues in sustainability, basically everything sustainability. So the question we're addressing this week is, what is sustainability and what's happening on campus with it? We also have a special guest later on, Missy Niergaard, UW-Madison's Director of Sustainability, uh, to answer some questions about how sustainability is being incorporated into UW campus and where we can go from here. Yeah, so to start off, the podcast was born out of the Office of Sustainability, which covers various aspects of campus, both academic and facilities planning and management. Katie and I are both student interns at the OS. And if you want to learn more, you can check out our website at sustainability.wisc.edu. If any of you guys are interested, um, again, you can find more at our website, but that application comes out in the spring. Savannah and I are both student interns, as she said before. It's really fun. You get to work with a lot of cool people. So if you're interested in sustainability, go check it out this spring. podcast discusses sustainability on the UW-Madison campus and features guests and hosts affiliated with the university. It does not, however, reflect the views of the Office of Sustainability, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. Okay, so let's jump right in then. To start, we're going to give some general definitions of sustainability, just so everyone has a broad overview and is on the same page as us. Our first definition is from the UN World Commission on Environment and Development. They define sustainability as to meet the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their needs. And this definition was created in 1987, but sustainable practices have really been around for centuries. And Kate and I really think of this definition as like living balanced, having this self-awareness that the world is bigger than one person and everything we do is really interconnected. I feel like sustainability is all about these different things coming together and realizing that people can't solve one problem without solving the other. Like that's what sustainability is. Um, And so at the Office of Sustainability, a lot of times we 
define sustainability in three areas, um, mainly environmental, which is like kind of the most popular one that people think of. Um, but there's also social and um, economic as well. And these are kind of talked about as the three pillars of sustainability, you could say. And that's where a lot of uh, business practices come from. A lot of different uh, sustainability initiatives come from. Environmental sustainability, as defined by University of Maryland, is concerned with how environmental resources will be protected and maintained for future generations. So essentially protecting the environment we live in so that we can live happily and healthy as can future generations of people and just future generations of all creatures on the planet. Um, so that really connects to nature. It's talking about how humans are, like we said before, really interconnected with the world and with nature. Um, talks about biodiversity of ecosystems, uh, that the environment is larger than just this abstract wilderness that we talk about. Um, it's larger than just our idea from humanity. Um, so we're within the environment, not above it. And that's kind of how we like to look at the environmental pillar of sustainability. Another pillar is the social dimension, which oftentimes gets forgotten about. So as defined by the Western Australia Council of Social Services, social sustainable communities are equitable, diverse, connected, and democratic, and provide a good quality of life. So our take is that not everyone has access to all the resources that can best serve their needs, and we can't expect people to live this zero waste, in quotes, um, lifestyle when they may be struggling to have access to food or find a safe place to live. Environmental racism and justice are really a big part of this social component and some examples right here in Madison or Wisconsin are food deserts, um, redlining, living near waste facilities, so um, oftentimes BIPOC people and lower income people have a greater likelihood of living near waste facilities and having negative health effects associated with this. Especially in Milwaukee, there's often a higher risk for asthma in BIPOC communities. Yeah, and this is um, largely due to coal plants that are um, placed, either built closer to lower income communities because they don't have as much power or voice in determining where new plants will be built or it's where low-income housing is built next to um, coal plants because that land is quote-unquote undesirable. Yes, so social sustainability is really a large component of sustainability as a whole, but it's definitely been historically forgotten. So that's something as an office we're trying to increase our involvement with social sustainability. So be sure to look out for any events that relate to that. Our third and final pillar is the economic section, which, according to the University of Mary Washington, refers to practices that support long-term economic growth without negatively impacting social, environmental, and cultural aspects of the community. So in our view, 
this really translates to ethical and sustainable business practices. So, for example, if you're producing clothing, making sure that the workers are paid a living wage and have the ability to advocate for themselves, as well as using fabrics and fibers that don't have a detrimental impact to the environment. And then also having a brand that is more than just seeking a profit. So we really try to advocate for brands that have this social identity to them. So whether they're supporting um, different initiatives in their communities, or I know like some companies um, allow workers to volunteer for like 10% of their time throughout the year. Really what we're asking for is that businesses take into account negative environmental and social externalities. So essentially the company pays for and accounts for their environmental and social impacts in their annual budget. And then as a whole, this promotes long-term growth and actually it's often more expensive down the line to not account for these externalities in the present. And then some classic business approaches of economic sustainability are the triple bottom line, which is often referred to as people, planet, and profit, or prosperity. Katie and I really like triple bottom line because it's yes. easy <laughs> for people to understand. Like It's important that your business is emphasizing people, the planet, and profit or prosperity. So like all three are in balance. And then another economic idea is conscious consumerism. So from personal or even like a business or office level, understanding where you're purchasing all of your goods or services from, like who's providing you those goods or services, what are their working conditions, what is the product made of, can it be recycled in the long run or does it have to be put in the landfill? And then a third idea that we really want to emphasize is this idea of the circular economy, which is essentially that everything that is created has like a long lasting life. So I'm gonna think of an example, like if you had a plastic bag, when you recycle a plastic bag, it eventually has an end of life because as you recycle plastic, it degrades in value. So eventually that plastic bag is going to end up in the landfill. It's had a, like a very linear model. But then the circular economy would be something like when you compost uh, a fruit peel. So like if you compost your banana peel, then it's going to go back into the soil or it's going to go back into compost. And then eventually those nutrients are going to be used to create something new. So there's this circular motion of everything being used to create value or create benefit to society. If we have materials already created, we're using those materials over and over and over and over again. Therefore, we're not taking these virgin materials and we're not just like Savannah said, having a linear economy. Not a new thing, but something that's really uh, starting to become almost a buzzword in sustainability uh, and is actually a really cool kind of systems thinking design. Yeah, that's great. I think another example kind of of the circular economy would be like a lot of different companies are starting to use plastic in what they produce. So this definitely has some, what's the opposite of benefit? Oh my God. 
some costs to it um so but one one company yeah. like girlfriend collective they make leggings and sports bras and they use plastic in their fabric which is a way that you can prolong the life cycle of plastic and workout clothes are often already made out of plastic fibers so when you use like ocean plastic or recycled plastic in your products instead of creating new material that can be really beneficial but then you also have to be aware that when you wash your clothes in the washing machine it can create microplastics that end up in the ocean so really circular economy um, has a lot of things that need to be worked out in our current system which is very complex but it's a great idea that we want to mention in this first episode Coming up next, we'll be interviewing Missy Nurgard, who is the Director of Sustainability on the UW-Madison campus, and she's going to be talking to us about what sustainability means to her and what it looks like here at UW. Hi, Missy! Hello! How are you guys? Good, how are you? Good. I'm glad this worked out. I was really stressed. It wasn't going to work. <laughs> well, thank you for coming to talk with us today, Missy. We're really excited to learn more about your work at the Office of Sustainability. Uh, would you mind giving like a brief overview of what your role um, in the OS is? Absolutely. Um, I'm the Campus Director of Sustainability. And one of the reasons that the position at UW-Madison really appealed to me was that in a lot of other higher education institutions, sustainability is really situated in facilities. And that's, it's, it's fine to look at the campus operations, but the real impact of higher education is in that knowledge that spreads out. So UW-Madison's position encompasses everything about the campus and it serves as a community liaison to regional approaches. So it's a much more embedded position, which is ideal because sustainability is all about systems. Would you be able to touch on that a little bit more just about campus systems thinking and how that fits in with your job and just the work of the OS in general? Yeah, so sustainability is, as we just said about systems and what happens in higher ed and all all, all all throughout our society is that we compartmentalize things. We compartmentalize um, economic systems, environmental systems, and our social systems. That's the traditional sphere of how sustainability is, is defined. Um, but in a true systems thinking approach, the goal is to optimize systems. When we compartmentalize things or silo things, what happens is that we start building out separate systems to create um, redundancies and backups. In an optimized system, those redundancies occur naturally. So we have tons of researchers doing research on plastics and water and water quality and human behavior. And we use all of that research to inform policy or to change product design. Um, but I thought it was most impactful that a photo of a sea turtle with a straw up its nose is really the thing that motivated people to start looking at banning single-use plastics. So we have, we have a ginormous research and knowledge enterprise, and sometimes we don't necessarily take into account how humans actually think and behave and what motivates us. 
and that's a transdisciplinary um, systems approach uh, when we're talking about our academic enterprise. Yeah, that's a really great point. I think that's something I've definitely appreciated from the internship so far is getting to learn from a bunch of different perspectives on sustainability and kind of focusing on like social, environmental, and economic sustainability like as separate enterprises and then like how they all intersect with one another. Agreed. And that's why UW-Madison is just it's so exciting. I came from a campus about half its size in Madison. Madison is nailing it uh, in so many ways. And the, the students are incredibly bright. <laughs> Some of the most intelligent, compassionate students I've ever worked with. And it's, it's inspiring. With sustainability in general, and a lot of people know the three pillars, and we've talked about them a little bit already. Um, what do you see sustainability as, and how has that kind of changed over time? Like, how has your view of sustainability changed as you've learned and had more experiences? So, when I was in grade school, which was in the 70s, uh, we learned about ecological systems as the web of life. And sustainability is that construct amplified exponentially. It is encompassing all of the webs of all of those systems. So I guess in some ways my conceptualization has changed from the imagery of a web to more of a fluid gelatinous mass. And in my undergraduate and graduate degrees, they're both in history. And with that lens of time, it's easy to see how humans have constructed and construed meaning onto things that don't necessarily fit into how the world actually works. Um, Edward Said in his book, Orientalism, had reframed Western cultural perspectives in his study of how the history of Western and Eastern interactions. And my own thinking has evolved with regard to how, how some human cultures frame themselves as apart and different than other species and even distant from the physiological and biological imperatives that sustain us. So while sustainability is often framed as an environmental system, compartmentalizing that system leads to the very situation we find ourselves in. So I actually struggle a little bit with how sustainability is framed in these three pillars. Um, it's systems optimization, not segregation. So I see sustainability maturing in that con conceptualization. Maybe it's less of a three-legged stool and more of a malleable beanbag that accounts for all of the little foam balls touching each other and moving around and reshaping to fit our behinds. That's a really great point. I think oftentimes, yeah, they are sustainability is talked about as these multiple systems or they're all like intersecting with one another, but I've never heard I like the malleable beanbag analogy that they're all like no one, one entity. Yeah, no one likes to sit on a stool anyway. They're hard. <laughs> um, so with that in mind, I guess, how do you see sustainability within the Wisconsin idea? How does that connect to UW-Madison's goals and what we stand for? So um, sustainability is the Wisconsin idea in action. It's so inextricably bound into the betterment of our lives, of our world, and our communities. 
I don't know that I can articulate it well, so I'm going to use an example that Gina McCarthy provided. She was a former head of the EPA, um, and she talked about glaciers melting and that it's hard to care about a glacier melting because I don't live near a glacier. Um, I don't <laughs> live near an ocean. So the impact of that is indirect and far away. And I may not have the time or the energy to care about it because I have a basement that floods and now I have mold in my house and I live in an area where the housing regulations were so inadequate that floodwaters contain chemicals from runoffs from all the different areas around me. And I might not have health insurance or my child is so adversely impacted by the mold that she's sick and she can't go to school. Those are the impacts that are right here in our community and it's something we can see and understand um, and while that may not always be a directly attributed as a sustainability issue, it is a highly complex, wicked problem. And that's what sustainability does. It, um, it takes all of the resources that we have on campus or in higher ed in, in general, and we, we have all the knowledge we need. Um, and with our students going out into the world, we have the willpower and the action needed to take care of those problems. And that's what the Wisconsin idea is. It's, it's sharing the wealth of knowledge at the university and making people's lives better. So I, I can't think of a better place to be. I was talking to the chancellor in one of our very brief meetings that I get to talk with her. And I am convinced that everything we have in our mile, um, mile long width of campus is everything that's needed to save the world. It's just bringing it together and getting it out there for the world. So it, it is the Wisconsin idea. Are there any uh, kind of initiatives that are happening on campus that you see as kind of a, a cool direction that the university is headed in? Um, or what do you see as kind of like hope that campus is giving you in terms of sustainability? It's definitely the students. I've been in higher education for over 25 years now. So the students that I started working with in higher ed, I have been out there working in the world for two decades. They're educating and influencing their work in their communities. And I can feel the momentum and see the shift in the world. Each new incoming class is a sign of hope and a source of inspiration. Um, the sustainability movement is coming of age and people are rediscovering how everything is connected and seeing that glacier that's just outside their window in different ways. Um, as far as a sense of hope, it is, um, it's definitely students. And did you want me to talk about some of the, the initiatives on campus? Yeah, that'd be great if you could talk about some like current initiatives. We just yep. watched a kind of sad, very sad documentary. So I think both Katie and I could use a little uplifting. <laughs> right what was the documentary? The True Cost. The cost. Oh, yes. That is, yeah, makes you rethink everything, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and actually, I saw that and the only place I shopped at now are uh, St. Vinny's or Goodwill. Um so a couple of things that I'm really excited about, uh, Madison is a powerhouse of research and particularly around climate change, poverty, um, the health impacts, uh, public health impacts of climate change. Those are 
obviously incredibly relevant issues right now. They always have been, but I think we're, we're really seeing how everything's connected. So Chancellor Blank took a, took a leap of faith and signed on to something called the um, Second Nature's Resilience Commitment. And it is about preparing uh, communities for climate change. Um, there's a mitigation aspect of it, but science has definitely you know, shown that the climate is changing. There's nothing that's going to halt that. It's a matter of how much it's going to change. So to prepare communities for that and prepare individuals for that, um, the chancellor has committed the institution to really work on that, to bring people in together from cross sectors. Um, cross sectors means business, government, uh, community resources, higher ed, and transdisciplinary. So all of the academic resources and scholarship that we have on campus to work towards solving these problems. And what it's enabled is some really um, innovative approaches on how we use, for instance, climate science. We can do modeling out for decades um, and that can inform how we build. So we know that we're gonna have higher humidity levels. So we need to put in systems now that can address that future load. Um, we can revisit, actually we can propose policies that change building standards for public housing. So that um, public housing, those participants, those typically um, folks that need some additional economic help, they're not burdened by something that we built now when we know 20 years from now that's gonna be an insufficient building and it's gonna cost a fortune for them to maintain or it's going to increase the opportunity for mold to build in their um, build up in their walls and create health health hazards. So using the, you just using the powerhouse that the institution is to change lives is something super exciting um, for me. And then another thing the chancellor signed on to was the Yahara Clean Partnership. And this is a partnership that's working to address the quality and cleanliness of the Yahara watershed. So that not only impacts campus, it includes all of the communities around that. And uh, we have the Center for Limnology, we have University of Illinois, or sorry, <laughs> I'm in Illinois, <laughs> University of Wisconsin Extension, Nelson Institute, and all of these other resources that we have, whether they be in ag or in community development, to work on the, the health and cleanliness of the watershed. And whether you go swimming in there or you are fishing out of there for sustenance, that has an impact on people's lives as well. And it's using using what we have here on campus. Um, and then I think probably my the, the thing that excites me most is our initiative for campus as a living lab. It's my personal favorite. Um, it's the opportunity to leverage the expansiveness of campus to provide practical and applied learning. And that adds values to our students' degrees. So it's taking what you learn in the classroom and giving you a chance to practice it on campus. So for instance, we have the largest chillers in the world in the Charter Street plant. And there's an opportunity there for students to study fluid dynamics in a place that you don't get that opportunity anywhere else in the world. That is a unique attribute for us. Um, students in pharmacy or nursing, pharmacy or nursing, should be able to grow and study medicinal herbs, right? We can plant those gardens. Um, urban planning students should be able to design and plant edible landscapes. You're gonna see more and more of these out in the communities that they're designing. So uh, we've already started involving students in designing spaces for equity 
not just for aesthetics and energy efficiency. Right? When we spend 90, over 90% of our time indoors, we need to make sure that our spaces are habitable. So we can, can we can transform campus so that every place is a space for learning, discovery, and respite. That those are not distinct and separate spaces. Um, and that's what systems optimization does. It, it creates natural redundancies and efficiencies instead of building separate and siloed systems. So I'm sure you don't just go to your class and sit in your classroom and that is the only place you learn. <laughs> you, you go everywhere on campus uh, to sit and study or to learn or to observe. And sometimes you just need quiet spaces. And I, I know you've probably spent more time sitting in the hallways waiting for classes than you've actually spent in the classroom. And those are the opportunities that we want to, you know, we want to make all those spaces comfortable for learning and just to take a break from life sometimes. Yeah, those are all really great examples. I would definitely relate to sitting in the hallway. The problem <laughs> with needing to be early to my class. <laughs> Kind of connected to that, I guess, is this, I guess for me, it's a newer idea of connecting wellness into sustainability. Um, but would you be able just to talk on that, on how that's connected and how it's being presented on campus? Yeah, um, it's interesting. And it's almost, it almost makes me sad that we don't have a school of architecture on campus because uh, how we design spaces doesn't necessarily always take into account how <laughs> how humans live and use spaces. Um, so you're seeing more and more of that research incorporated into building design and space design. And that's part of what wellness does. And there's, there's a new building attribute kind of design system called well. And that takes into account air movement, light, um, people's need for quiet or noise, or it takes into account um, neurodiversity, how people think is different. And what happens in a, in a classroom is um, not that different than what happens in an office space, but we, we design a space thinking you're going to be there for 50 minutes, you're going to sit in an uncomfortable chair, <laughs> and you're going to move on. Um, and I, I think the example that I've used in the past is that um, when we look at classroom design, for instance, we look at how many bodies can fit into that space, um, but we don't necessarily think about how that space contributes to their ability to learn, how comfortable it makes people, how welcoming it makes people, especially when we're looking at diverse cultures. Um, maybe there's a need for some color or some art for inspiration, especially in higher ed we don't put a lot of art or color into things because it's hard to maintain. So what's happened is that we've designed spaces for maintenance <laughs> and operations <laughs> and cleaning, which is incredibly important, but we've taken out the meaning of the space and what we're supposed to accomplish in that space. And whether that's um, a prayer space or a mother's room, or uh, I use vet med as an example Right. In vet med, people are coming in, especially into the, the cancer center, they're stressed. The students are stressed. The faculty and the, the clinical staff are stressed. These are highly emotional issues and areas, and sometimes you just need a place to cry. So um, instead of designing an open space with a waiting room where you're sitting next to someone else whose dog is also dying and you're both bawling your heads off, um, taking account into, uh, you know, 
what are, what are we bringing, what are we bringing people in to do? Or sometimes it's bringing dogs in for hospice or to put a dog down. You don't want to sit out in the waiting room bawling your head off because you're about to put your dog down and next to you is this cute little puppy. <laughs> These people are really excited. Um, so uh, it's an integrated design process that takes into account mental health um, uh, and as well as just our physical health and how we use that space as humans and even as animals. Yeah, I, I just find it so interesting and wellness especially, I think, is something that gets a little bit pushed to the side and the whole idea of sustainability. And it's, it's really important, especially when we talk about burnout and feeling kind of hopeless in this idea of the climate crisis and whatnot, and just having, having better spaces to fit the needs of what you need in that moment, I guess, um, I think is really important. And it lends itself so much to, to sustainability and learning about sustainability and learning about how to advance at, like sustainability on campus and everywhere. So I think it's just a really cool initiative. But yeah, thank you for talking about it a little bit more. So I guess just to wrap up a little bit, what would be one thing that you see in the sustainability movement? Like, where is it heading today? And what do you see as like the pushing force behind it? What's going to get us to where we need to go? Um, I'm going to take this from a higher ed perspective. We have over 9,000 courses available on campus. And the opportunity to incorporate sustainability into existing and emerging knowledge is paramount to applying it to real world solutions. Um, one of the things I notice when I go to seminars or other is, you know, we're always talking about the same problems over and over and over again, and we have tons of research. What is missing is the um, ability to transfer that research into an applied solution. And I think that's where incorporating sustainability more into our curriculum is really critical because not everyone sees how sustainability fits and go back to the the picture of the, the sea turtle with a straw up his nose right that's sustainability um, working on solutions for poverty and how policy uh, impacts that that's sustainability social justice and equity um, crime bills that's all sustainability um, and once you start seeing how one action, whether it's in your discipline or in someone else's, is actually connected to yours, you can start dealing with some of the unintended negative consequences from enacting something. So to your point about um, room design, right? It's typically sustainability would be like, oh, what's the off-gassing component of that carpet? Um, is that carpet recyclable? And one of the things we want to look at is, hey, if someone's got um, uh, some kind of mobility impairment, can they get across that carpet? Um, if I've got uh, some kind of optical, something that makes me dizzy, does that pattern make me sick when I'm walking across it? Um, if I'm in, a, <laughs> say I'm in a nursing home and I've got my walker and I only look down, what does that carpet pattern look like to me and does it make me dizzy? So it's, it's taking a solution and making sure that it doesn't cause harm 
in other areas. And that kind of integration into our curriculum is going to be really helpful because we're not going to solve it today. It's going to take all of us working together. Like I said, I've, I've got students that have been out in the world now for two decades, and you can start seeing that momentum. And I think we're we're at a tipping point, not to use um, an overused words, though I, I think we're there and it's, it's really exciting. Yeah, thank you. I, this has been really great. I've definitely appreciated learning more about campus and systems thinking as a whole. It's really awesome just to talk to you, Missy, about systems thinking and how everything is connected because I feel like you just know so much about it and it's totally something that I'm interested in. So I, I really enjoy having that conversation. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you, you guys. You know, I have high expectations that you're going to save the world now. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> Thanks for joining us and have a good, good rest women. of your day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our first episode of the Sustain UW podcast. Special thanks to our guest this episode, Missy Nergard, who is the Director of Sustainability here on the UW-Madison campus. Thanks also to Kathy Middlecamp, Co-Director at the Office of Sustainability, and to Nathan Yondel, Assistant Director of and De Facto Communications Expert for the Office of Sustainability. Thanks to Jason Gallup, Director of the OS Student Intern Program, to the Nelson Institute for Environmental Studies, and to Facilities Planning and Management. The making of this episode required a lot of behind-the-scenes work from our amazing intern team, including Brooke Bowser, Cassie Sanford, Carissa Godot, Hannah Franzblau, Hannah Kassen, Marina Minnick, Natalie Tinson, Norma Baron-Martinez, and Yeji Kwan. This episode was edited by Hannah Kassen. Join us next month to explore the complex history of environmentalism and racism with a new set of hosts, Norma Baron-Martinez and Hannah Kassen. Until then, know that we'll be thinking about how to best sustain UW. The Sustain UW podcast is produced by the UW-Madison Office of Sustainability intern team. To learn more about our work on campus, go to sustainability.wisc.edu and click on the tab Student Involvement. You can stay connected with the Office of Sustainability by searching at SustainUW on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Never miss an episode of the Sustain UW podcast by following the show on Spotify. You can also find and listen to the show at anchor.fm slash sustainuw, a nifty platform that links to all our social media accounts and even allows listeners to send us an audio message. So check it out. Sustainability is a collaboration, and we would love to hear your thoughts on how to best sustain UW.